0: Welcome everybody to the thirtieth episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm Osmany, and I'm your host Simon Manny. We're at episode thirty already. That's right. How has that happened? Thirty episodes being alongside you, I and cannot believe it. We up. have not fought once. I uh, probably have some arguments <laughs> here and there, but it's actually been pretty good so far. I was like, you
1: lucky, lucky boy. That's Go right. Hang out with me for thirty episodes. Colonizer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's always nice to have a colonizer on the podcast with me. And
1: Quite unbelievably, it's thirty episodes in, and Chelsea is still fucking shit.
0: XG champs. <laughs> it's you are unbelievable. Kings of the XG, Simon Kings. It's the only stat I care about. I don't care about the table. I don't care about the score. Exactly. It's the you only one the that matters. XG, that's all that matters.
1: Yep. That's it. That's the way that we've changed our expectations. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about this in detail. But like thirty episodes, and just we had a little bit of a false dawn. Where we had some hope, where I think that's been drilled out of both of us Yeah, now. it's a
0: Liverpool game and a little bit at the Luton yeah. Town game, but after that it's been really, really false since then. It's been two weeks of doing non-Chelsea talking, um, and it's just been a wild, wild two weeks yeah. of having no football.
1: Yeah, so we've uh, we've hung out a little bit in that, that last couple of weeks, a bit of copium without Chelsea, which is probably actually probably benefits benef- beneficial to our health, I think, for What's both okay. of us, so how has it been your last two weeks before the before the the? Interesting Sunday?
0: is like I've actually been off for the last week, which has been nice, and I've been doing a staycation. Normally, I'm like always traveling somewhere, and it's really, really rare for me to be in Nashville, which is actually quite nice. And last uh, Wednesday, was it? Yeah. Wednesday, it Simon Wednesday. and I, Simon had an extra ticket to the Arctic Monkeys and invited me to the show, and it was just brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. sensational. And it was an awesome outdoor amphitheater. The weather was just amazing. It was like in the low 70s. That's a high 60s, 20s for the cent- yeah, centigrade it, people th- back this, this is Fahrenheit. It's freedom, <laughs> F for freedom, my friend. <laughs> we don't deal with Celsius here. Although as a physician, we do deal with <laughs> yeah. a lot of metrics. Right, <laughs> that's all we deal with. But no, it was it was just a great weather and great just a live live show. That was your first time seeing them live. It
1: was yeah, and it's crazy actually. Like I've grown up with the Arctic Monkeys. Their first album uh, was released when I was when they were eighteen and when I was eighteen, and I've grown up with them and i've never seen them in england that was the first time i ever watched them and it's crazy coming from i'm a very big music person that i've been to so many shows and you know played in lots of bands and stuff like that and i've just i've never thought about ever seeing them in england and i first saw i saw the concert come listed last year and i was like that is a band that i really really want to see and they were exceptional actually like very very good real my brother my brother i texted
0: my brother and he saw him uh, in London and he was really really jealous and was asking me how the concert was and i gave give him the rundown um, and it was just a really nice atmosphere and then Thursday I think I went for a hike Friday I went to the lake with a couple friends who were also off and that uh, was really really nice and thought I'd have a great weekend and started <laughs> off uh, you guys probably don't know this uh, most of the listeners probably don't but I'm a huge college football fan huge college football fan and Tennessee has been in this shit for the last 15-20 years and we just hired a new coach Josh Heupel. I met him. Yeah Simon got to meet him at Vanderbilt. Drunkenly. (laughs) Yeah um, and uh, we had some copium last year. We did pretty well. I finished top four or top five. I think only had two losses and then the expectations this year was that we would have a pretty good team with uh, Bazooka Joe as our quarterback and we Went to go play the Florida Gators, which I just absolutely hate. And one of my best friends is a Florida Gators fan, and him and I just, whenever the games are on, we just don't chat at all. And they've beaten us since we have not won in Florida, in Gainesville, which is the armpit of America. It is the um. And Kaushik is a Music City Blues is a big Gator fan, and I apologize for that. But it is just a nasty town. <laughs> it is just there's nothing to do there, nothing but meth. What's it gain? <laughs> that's not that's again gainesville, gainesville, yeah, right. gainesville please skip over that you know for all the england fans that come over you're probably gonna go to orlando to see magic kingdom and walt disney world there's no reason to visit gainesville florida at uh, all
1: there was a band that i like called less than jake who are from gainesville florida and they wrote a song called gainesville rock city which after you told me how <laughs> i'm not a fan you are of that place it takes extra f- c- comedy on it now so
0: yeah it's crazy
1: i i the game was disastrous, yeah, you right?
0: Yeah, you, you get to watch a game with us um, at my friend Willa Maggie's house and it was just a disaster, disaster. And legit, we have not won in Gainesville since 2003. I was a sophomore in college. So that's second year, yeah. out of four. Yeah, right? second year out of four, yeah. And that's the last time we actually won a game in Gainesville, Florida. They have had our number for decades and you play them every year then the play same. them every year but yeah. you know it's it's reversed it's not like an EPL where you do a home and away every year like this year we played them away next year they'll come back to Knoxville which where Tennessee's home is college football is much different than it is in like league and in, yeah in uh, FA, uh football uh but yeah no you Simon saw me I was just in a really really crappy mood a really shitty mood
1: yeah it was interesting because you said to me before If we lose, I'm going to be fucking inconsolable, like really, really just not being able to talk to me. And I was like, I can't believe he gets more annoyed about that than like a Chelsea defeat. Because I've seen you for a lot of Chelsea defeats in the last 18 months. But God, you were like a bear with a sore head, really. It was like, it really affected you. And I I felt awful. I felt awful for you going through that.
0: It was like... Oh, no, but Chelsea's not going to help you either. <laughs> and then Simon picked me up the next morning to take us to the pub to watch the Chelsea game against Bournemouth, and that was just misery added on misery. And then yesterday, Sunday, our both of our NFL teams, mine is the Arizona Cardinals and his is the New York Giants, they faced off and... My team was up by 20 points, and then the Giants scored 24 unanswered points and beat us in the fourth in quarter. quarter. In one right, quarter, yeah. uh, which so is nuts. It was basically the triple of annoyance <laughs> over the weekend. All three of my teams lost, and we talked about it with David on the last podcast. You know, when you look at sports as a whole, you look at it as a way of giving you an outlet from everyday. Uh, life, right? And it could be used as a positive when the team is winning and stuff like that. And we talked about the Champions League when in 2021, what it did for David and Nathaniel, what it did for me as well, because yeah. I was going through a rough time as well during that time. But then there's also the opposite. There's yeah. also the opposite. And when your teams are not doing so well, your outlet is basically plugged, right? You look at Chelsea, you look at Tennessee, you look at these sports teams as an outlet from all the despair that you face every single day. You know, I work. I have a very high stress job you know dealing with patients on a daily basis yeah and so you use that outlet to get away from you know this sort of copium of what you do on an everyday basis and that just didn't work for me this weekend you know no it's difficult i think you're
1: exactly right and it's it's impossible to manage your emotions when it's not just one team that's doing badly when literally every team that you care about Loses in the space of 24 hours. That's hard. It's really hard. And I know we're going to talk a bit about the bigger picture at Chelsea in this episode. But to me, over the last 20 years, Chelsea used to provide real solace for everything for me. The fact that we were so good on our... Just like you would have the expectation, you know, we might lose a few games over the season. But you would turn up expecting to win the majority of them. We'd go to Stamford Bridge, me and my dad and my brothers expecting to win not just hopeful expecting to and the fact that that doesn't provide me that anymore has been a real reality check in the last year in terms of where we are as a club and I know how much you care about University of Tennessee football now and I can't imagine having those two games next to each other within 15 hours 15 because it wasn't yeah. even a space of 24 hours it was less than that wasn't it it was yeah. last thing in the evening on saturday to 8 first 8 a.m here yeah. in tennessee on the sunday so <laughs> i'm simon, very
0: sorry simon picked me up and i literally was a zombie i said nothing and i'm very very affable very chatty person and i just just quiet the whole time I, I i was oh my god they've killed him <laughs> they've killed him <laughs> yeah i know right uh no and it's just one of the situations where it's just um it was a domino effect and yeah. chelsea fans will get to will be used to this at some point but Tennessee, we were so bad in the mid-2000s to about three years ago. We went through really three really horrible coaches, and there was something that medically that we just re- called battered fall syndrome. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what it was. You just you have this hope and belief and you just get smacked down to reality, and that's kind of how it felt. You know, your team was so well, good last year. There's hope that we can get into the college football playoff. We have a, a, a senior quarterback that has talent, you know we have a very very good defensive team that has talent as well on the defensive side, but it was just it was just a bad bad embarrassing performance. And then Chelsea has not helped in the last ten months. No, it
1: hasn't. And I think this is this is what I'm struggling to deal with personally is that I know that this is a long term project, but and there's extenuating circumstances for a lot of what we're seeing in front of us, especially this season because. I mean, if you look at the turnover of the squad and the young players that we've introduced and a new manager, my expe- my mentality is drilled into be a winning Chelsea team. So I'm not mentally prepared <laughs> to deal with a period of time where we're not going to be successful. And I think this is what this realisation is starting to look like in my head. So let's talk about the game. So Chelsea drew 0-0 away to Bournemouth.
0: Yeah, first game back um, from the international break, You know, we knew that there was going to be some complacency in bringing some of those senior players that were out You know, playing for their um, home international squads, and maybe they will get the start or not. And we realized in that morning that Caicedo had a knock. We don't know how serious it is. The British record transfer, yeah. we should also add, um, <laughs> probably yeah. our linchpin of our midfield for exactly. the next decade. If the announcers don't, re- don't say that three or four times during the broadcast, <laughs> British transfer record. So we knew that, you know, just looking at the starting lineups, it's going to be a practically very young team that it's always been with our caretaker and our um, teacher, Thiago Silva, <laughs> you know, the daycare supervisor uh, in in the back. Uh, and then, you know, having Jackson up front, Sterling, Enzo, Mudrick, Gallagher, Leslie, um, Gusto, Desassi, Silva, and Cowell. I still thought it was a strong lineup.
1: There was enough there to win that game. Absolutely. Comfortably. And this is the problem. I think we're gonna. I think I've in the last twenty because we're recording on Monday evening. So this is about oh, over twenty four hours since the result happened, and I was furious. Actually, I was more angry about that game than I was the defeat against Nottingham Forest and the defeat against West Ham. Because I just thought to myself, "God, we're in for a long season." That was the hope of that we were displaying before the season started and after the Liverpool game and even probably after the West Ham and Luton games as well I think we saw enough against West Ham we were like God if Enzo had scored that penalty we would have won that game comfortably 0-0 away against the team that played into the way that we wanted to play made and just the absence of any kind of ability to put the ball in the net just like absolutely crushed me yesterday there was enough in that team I think actually about twenty four hours afterwards, I, I think we can highlight some good performances that were maybe I didn't really acknowledge at the time. So, personally, my player of the match or man of the match was
0: Robert Sanchez. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who came from Brighton. Not a lot of fanfare. Got a lot of negative. He's getting press. a lot of hate from our fan base. Absolutely, it's not warranted. Absolutely, but he showed why you know some of the people in the back the back room thought that he could be a first team goalkeeper. Great reactionary save. Um, especially you know, on the run of play. And then he had a good save on the set piece as well, I think, mm-hmm. and was just overall our man of the match. I think at 8.2 on mob rating as well. Yeah, he played really well. I mean, he saved it. us a point.
1: Yeah. He saved us a point. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, this is the problem. I, I think when we talk about him, this is the problem that I encountered with Kepa generally last year. When your team is not scoring goals... You need your defence and goalkeeper to perform at a higher level to save you from defeat. And whether the stats say that Kepa last season was better than he was previously, there were moments which the stats didn't pick up where he would cause us defeats, where he should have saved stuff. Yesterday, I think, was a bit of a a redemption of the decision to, to purchase Sanchez because he looked not just made some good saves but looked comfortable coming to claim the ball as well. Yeah, he was just grabbing balls out of the air on set his pieces. His height as well, plays yeah. a huge advantage because a couple of those chances that, 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 that in the first half when he saved the f- the open chance, that was his frame that saved that.
0: Yeah, and also he had good distribution. I mentioned that se- mm. several times the like, boss oh, that's a great, you know, pass out to, you know, Gusto or whoever on on the right flank and he was getting much better at that as well.
1: Yeah. I think I wanted to revisit I think Mujric actually played quite well in the first half. Yeah, as he well. was rated seven point zero. Yeah. And the uh, first fifteen minutes he was really good. When he went quiet, it's because all the ball went down the right. Yeah, I think <laughs> again <you>
0: can, <laughs> I, and this is my thing about there's a till of two halves and we talked about it at the pub. The first half you saw Levi Colwell basically led in his boots, would not get past the the defense, you know, the halfway point. And it created so much gap between Colwell and Mudrick, where Mudrick was on an island. Yeah. And your midfielders, Leslie Gutruckel, was playing more of a holding defensive side. He wasn't sliding in there on the left side to help pass the ball to Mudrick. And Connor was all over the pitch, obviously, yeah. and so was Enzo. Enzo was playing a little bit far advanced than what I saw. He was actually in that 10 spot. Yeah. And so there was a lot of space in and around Jackson. Enzo got uh, Conor Gallagher in the midfield. But there was such a wide a wide amount of space between our left fullback Colwell and Mudrick. and that's not how you're supposed to play. Yeah, with with Mudric. right?
1: And I think to give Pochettino credit, I think he fixed that at half time. He did. He, yeah, Colwell, Colwell looked very dangerous going forward. Again, I don't think that's probably his right position. I think I would rather him playing centre back and having Chilwell or Matson move into that role. But Colwell had the opportunities. He, again, he just. I think he got a nosebleed because he was so high on the pitch. Yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, think he changed his shoes, decision right? Decision-making, <laughs> He yeah. changed
0: his shoes. Uh, and so I think the second half, seeing Cola playing more advanced was really, really good. The other player that I was sort of, I wouldn't say disappointed, but just didn't didn't play as well as I thought they would play is both Enzo and Nico Jackson.
1: Yeah, Enzo was disappointing. I think you can attribute that
0: to he played both games for Argentina
1: yeah, and a lot tired. of travel. Yeah, he like, looked pretty tired. It's a long way back and he, just, he was demanding that he showed up for the team, which... I think you have to give him some There were some that. passes that he normally makes
0: spot on that he kind of yeah. missed off the mark. Um, but And Nico Jackson, I mean, that one shot in the second half, I don't know where he was going with that. I think he went almost out the stadium yeah. or whatnot. Kicks it almost back to Chelsea. Yeah, even. and then there's also, you know, he did some good things. He would drop in the midfield and help build up the play, but then... Just had bad spacing in the box, especially when Gusto had the ball and tried to cross it over. Nico has to create some space against center back to give a give some sort of avenue for Gusto to put the ball in, and there was none of that. He should
1: have scored twice. Yeah. He hit the post in the first half. He should have done better with that shot, I think. And that header, when Chilwell came on and delivered that um, ball in, which was a fantastic cross, and it just hit Jackson's head and just rebounded the goalkeeper, that was poor, poor positioning. And I think this is what we've talked about, the saying that Jackson has a lot of raw capabilities but needs a lot of fine tuning It's treatment. like Drogba's first year, you know? I think Drogba was more accomplished than Jackson. Yeah, but he's also older when he first came to yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, but that's that's kind of what I mean a little bit in terms of Jackson had, what, half a season scoring goals at Villarreal. Before then, he was a bench player. Drogba was playing regularly for Marseille for a good two or three seasons before we signed him and playing in the Champions League and scoring against teams. And I think we might have to manage our expectations of what we can get out of Jackson this year. And that kind of reverts back to my thought before the season started, before the window closed, that I said that I think we needed another striker. And I think we're seeing that now. And I don't... I would have been comfortable
0: going in with him and Broja if Brozier hadn't been out for a year beforehand. What do you think if Brozier is back to healthy? I mean, you have to obviously get him some minutes off the bench, but if they're both you know, healthy full minutes or whatever, who would you start?
1: It's a tough question. I think Brozier, purely because I think he is a finisher. And like I think Jackson's real strengths are, are kind of the build up play and the the pressing and those kind of things. If we're looking if we're looking for someone who can put the ball in the net, Broja can do that. Like he obviously hasn't played a ton, but he scored goals with Southampton before he came back on and he was starting to look quite good before he got injured last season so but again that injury it makes me yeah. worry it's so long out and like it's how long is he going to take to get back to ma- match fitness and is, sharpness yeah
0: it also depends because Pacino relies on her strikers for a lot of counter pressing mm. and can Broja live up to that with his surgery that's going to be a little bit difficult yeah I agree with you I would actually probably still start Nico Jackson. have Broja come off the bench you know to sort of acclimate himself but it'll be interesting God, um, that injury to Nkuku looks like the not absolute that, not even killer, carny, even Carney, yeah. You know, because we're missing a traditional number ten, and an Enzo in that position was not working yesterday in the first half. I mean, when Cole Palmer came in, that was like that brought some life into the team.
1: Yeah, and this is—I uh, tried not to be too critical of the starting 11 because, like, I mean, we're going to talk about this—the injury, the amount of injuries that we have—it would cripple any other team. Any other team, the amount of first-team players who would be starting for us. Out at the moment is absolutely ridiculous
0: yeah but my my playing devil's advocate here i know that we've had a lot of injuries but we also spent a billion dollars right and i think this comes back to the point and we also got rid of a lot of players as well over the summer um did we buy the right players to be determined i you could see the logic of it
1: and the one player who we probably needed in there more than anything in terms of attack was Nkuku was more experienced than all the others, and I feel that the way we were watching us playing preseason, everything was going through him. I think we did. I think the supplemental pieces around Nkuku and. Like, look, you can see the logic of Palmer, like, and Chipmaker. Maker was last season, but I think we did buy the right players. We've bought a right back who's capable of being a deputy for Reece James, who, let's face it, has just turned twenty years old, and like, he has some problems going forward at the moment, but defensively he looks pretty sound. I think De Sassi actually played quite well yesterday. Initially, he made one bad tackle, which gave him the opportunity to hit that free kick, but I think he's been pretty solid. If you look at some of the other players who we've bought in different positions, we haven't seen Caicedo really yet. We haven't seen Lavia. We've not seen much of Palmer. Time will tell. But I, I, and the goalkeeper, you could argue, is is has been okay so far. I think still missing that that number nine.
0: <clears throat> kind of going back to some positives. There weren't, there weren't that many positives from this game, but I want to be more positive than negative in the beginning. Um, I thought Lazio Gutioco had a great game.
1: Yeah, I didn't even mention him. Yeah, he played you know, great. A 19-year-old kid coming in with his first start. looks very solid. In that, in that
0: defensive mid-position, I think we're kind of stacked now. Oh. <laughs> Having him, Caicedo, and Lavia there. It's <laughs> yeah. you know, gone from ridiculous, like nothing to really, really no, well positioned He had though. a really good command of the midfield, was able to pass it out to both Enzo and, and Connor, and was able to also give it back when he felt uncomfortable with you know with the pressure that Bournemouth was supplying in the midfield. I thought he did a very, very solid job in his first game.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought he looked very, very good. I think defensively, I think there were a few lapses, but I think we looked pretty solid throughout the game. I think Connor Gallagher played well up to a certain point. Until he got into the box, Yeah, I thought. I don't think he's a natural number 10. I think I made this comment to a friend yesterday when we were watching it that maybe that season at Crystal Palace was the outlier for him. He doesn't look like he has natural instincts in and around the box, and... I think he is a useful player as a as a when everyone is fit deputy to Caicedo in terms of his energy and like his ability to get across the pitch. I think when everyone is fit, we have an accomplished number ten in there. You see the difference between having maybe Nkuku or Chukwameko in that position, and I think Gallagher is a squad player.
0: I don't think you can put the goal scoring onto him. Let me ask you a question. Were you quite surprised seeing Gallagher getting the captain's armband over Raheem Sterling?
1: Yes. Purely for the fact that the club made it quite clear that we wanted to sell him, which I feel gives mixed signals. I can understand doing it against AFC Wimbledon when... He was a senior player. Yeah, and he might have been gone, so it might have been like, this might be your last hurrah as a Chelsea player, That will make you captain, blah, blah, blah. Sterling is one of the most experienced players in there, and... He looks like he's really giving it all, and I think he's inspiring the team on to to play better. Gallagher doesn't give me that leadership vibe to him, and I may be completely wrong, and maybe he's a real kind of presence in the training ground and around the team. But
0: I was actually pretty shocked when I saw him in the yeah. captain's armband, and, and, and not in like a bad way. I just thought that, yeah, against in in the in the Carabao Cup, sure, you know whatnot, against AFC Wimbledon, that's fine. But when you have Raheem Sterling, who's actually captain for England, you know, and maybe for Man City. I don't know. I don't really know, but probably he's been. Yeah, he's been captain for when Harry Kane hasn't been playing. Yeah, and not having giving him the captain's armband. Maybe we're looking into this too much, but I don't know if that says anything. Maybe that's going to light a fire and rise and be like, all right, I'm just going to do my thing now.
1: Yeah, possibly. I think there was more. Cry for Thiago Silva to be made captain, wasn't there? Yeah. Like I
0: think. And I think you brought up a good point about that that there is a large language barrier mm. between having a new goalkeeper and having, you know, to um, you know, a French international to your right and an Englishman to your left. And there's a discrepancy in, the, you know, this in, in language. Between and we're three. also
1: relying on him to be the leader throughout the team anyway. Yeah. And just exactly. adding another responsibility. <laughs> just, just do everything, Thiago. I think, I, he's, I think he's, like, <laughs> he's
0: like the de facto captain, doesn't need an armband, you know, he's daddy in, in the back line. He's the daddy.
1: Twenty-four hours removed, both of us were at like the absolute depth of despair. Where's your head at now? With Oh, I the think state there's, of there's still
0: still despair. I mean, really? I'm looking at our fixtures coming mm. up. There's not a lot of points to to get, and we're what ten points away from top. What five points away from the bottom, or probably less than that in the table. You know, you 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 thought of you kept mentioning this last year, in um you know last two or three months about the possibility of relegation. I don't think that that's something that we can. Look over this year, especially oh, with depressing. especially with a team that is not scoring at all. And this is if you look at our first five games, this is a run of fixtures where we should have gotten minimum ten points. All right, Liverpool draw. We all we both expected that. Should have should have at least gotten points from West Ham, where there's a draw or a win. Should have gotten points from Liverpool, uh, Luton Town. We did. Should have gotten points um, from Nottingham Forest. Zero. Should have gotten more than one point from this game. These are the and this part of the schedule is the easiest schedule for any Premier League team out there. We had the easiest first five games. And just it's disappointing having only what four points or five, five points, times. five points out of that. You know, you while well, we're 10 away from, you know, the top Man City in Arsenal and Liverpool and Tottenham. I
1: think it's time to re-reassign expectations in terms of what we're going to do with this season. I think you're right. I I haven't got quite to the point where I th- I'm worried about that yet. And I think the reason why is that I do have faith in the coach. I do. I think he will figure it out once we've got enough, not everybody, When once he's got enough first-teamers back fit. Because I think you saw on Sunday when it got to the pit point in the second half, we should have been comfortably winning by the 70th minute. I think he just went, "Okay, let's not lose. Let's get through this game because if you saw the bench, there was nothing besides three players, three first teamers really. It was all kids, two goalkeepers and all kids. And I didn't want to make this excuse last year, but you have to you look at the team sheet, you look at the injuries. There's quality players missing throughout that squad throughout it. Our club captain Rhys James Arguably our best player really not there. We've just spent 115 million on Moises Caicedo. Not there. Baddy Ashiel hasn't played this season. I can't even think. Wesley Fofana, another 80 million pound defender. Lavia, we haven't seen him play yet. And Cuckoo was the linchpin of what our attack was going to look like. And I just I think and when enough comes back, he will figure it out.
0: Yeah, you, you just said all those names. There's only like one or two that's going to be there to give goals, right? This team is missing goal scorers. And Nkuku is obviously a linchpin for that. Maybe Reese James for a couple. But like these other players, yeah, they're role players, but they're not goal scorers. And that's what this team is missing.
1: I agree. I agree. But I think there's enough there. What you're seeing now is a lack of balance within our, within our starting 11. Every time that we go on the pitch, whether it's Chilwell playing left wing, whether it's Mudrick coming in in the space of that, our midfield doesn't look balanced. That plays such a pivotal part to your attacking role and relationships within your attack that I feel that Sterling and Jackson are the probably the ever presence there at the moment. Everything else is a mishmash. So how can you possibly build any coherence? And like... I feel that that will come and that balance in midfield is pivotal to building a bridge to your attack. And I, I, well, I said that I, we're missing a number nine.
0: This is my other issue, though, is that I, I think on paper, when everybody's healthy, this is still a mid-table team. And I, only, and I say this mm. while, only because it's a young, inexperienced team. And I'm okay with that. Because if you look at the other teams, like Arteta's Arsenal a couple years ago, it was a very, and they were what, finished eighth or something like that in the league. This is what this team is. It's a young, inexperienced team. And this is a mindset we talked about in the few pods ago. As a Chelsea fan, you have to have a mindset that this year is gonna be a roller coaster Mm -hmm. Because you have a very young, inexperienced, we we have the lowest average uh, starting, average age for starters, you know, in, in the league or in our first-team squad, is, is the youngest.
1: Imagine if you took Thiago silver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like right. double the age yeah. of some of them.
0: You know, and, and so that's why I think just based on the raw talent, yeah, When Kuku comes back, Reese James comes back, it's going to be a good team. But this team, even when at, at the healthiest right now from what I've seen in the first five or six games, I think it's still going to be a team that's going to finish now between 7 and 11, 7 and 12.
1: Yeah, I could see the logic of that, and I, I don't disagree with you.
0: My my concern is that right now we're at the bottom end of it and if things don't change it's going to it's the the seat's going to be hot regardless of what you and I think and what fans in the bridge think right the fans in the bridge will always support the coach they're going to support Pochettino for sure 100% but once we start losing more and more games because we have a rough schedule coming up
1: but I think there's points there I think we do play better against some of those teams sure i think and it, gonna, their are going. Their fixtures
0: going to be congested with Champions League in, exactly and around yeah. those fixtures as well. And 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 I think Brian's going to be playing in Europe as well. And so that will kind of hurt them when they when they play us. But I, I, it's just it's going to be a rough October, November, December. I think. Yeah, I. I I'm just getting myself mentally prepared, man. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I'm trying to see the it's optimistic Chelsea, Chelsea I, syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I yesterday, I would not be talking like this. I think I had a moment where I was like, "This season's going to be shit. What's the point?" What's the point? But I do see enough there to be more cautiously optimistic that things are going to turn around. And it's hard. It's hard. Like, we catastrophize everything when things go wrong. And it's one of the things that I've done previously, and I try not to do it, and it's easy to slip back into it, especially after what we had to go through last season. There's a very clear plan which, unfortunately, within a space of five games at the start of the season is not going to come to fruition. And I feel that changing that mindset is, is going to be the most difficult thing. I think... I was thinking about this compared to Tottenham with their evolution under uh, Postacoglu in the first five games. And everyone's like, oh my God, he's revitalised them, yada, yada, yada. I, I get that. But there's a core of their... Pl- I know they're missing Kane, but there's a core of their players... Who still have a lot of experience within that squad, who know how to win games and score goals? We are in a position where we are so inexperienced. We having that first eleven is even more important than anyone else right now because that coherence needs to build right now to to get there. And we because so many people are injured, we can't do it. So you're having to rely on players who to win games who were just not experienced in that way to do it. And I actually think yesterday, I don't hate the fact that 70 minutes Pochettino went, all right, okay, we're not going to lose. I, d- I don't hate that really, because you saw how it went at Forest last week where we had that moment lapse in concentration, which I think was inexperience that led to the goal, which maybe lost. There's some games where you just think, okay, this is not happening.
0: Let's just shut up shop. See, I'm super – I just get annoyed by that because this this is Chelsea Football Club. I know. I know. You it's know, hard. This, I'm realigning when, the when way I, I saw, think. When I saw Enzo just sort of walk off the pitch, not jog off the pitch or sprint off the pitch because there were still points to be had, I was super annoyed. Super, super annoyed. You know, and he was getting it from the away fans. Like, you know, get off the pitch. You know, that that's just very, very annoying. I understand the mindset of like having all these injured players out. I mean, looking at it from what we started against, you could World do a with, full eleven of it. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, comfortably. Like, <laughs> what, what we last year, what we had, you know, was this time last year versus against Bournemouth, what we had this year is a complete, you know, change in the eleven. And I understand that point. My only thing is that we see the deficiencies in our tactical, in our tactics currently. We have to change it. Like this whole project of of Colwell and left fullback, it's just mind numbing, you know. Not giving him the freedom to get across the, you know, off, uh, you know, playing at a traditional fullback role, you know, he, he was not g- given that um, flexibility in the first couple games. It was only the second half of, of yesterday's game, and then Chilwell. I left, get that. left winger, Chilwell left winger. It just, I get, just,
1: I get it. But we had enough opportunities to score. We had enough clear-cut chances to score, so those conversations should have been made redundant. But Simon, our XG could have been even much (laughs)
0: higher.
1: (laughs) This is the thing, though. It's like people can complain about the strategy and the tactics all you want. If we had more competent finishing, we would have won that game comfortably. So we the tactics were right. In my mind, they were, because... Like, you're asking to create more opportunities that we would have missed anyway. I'm just saying, like,
0: you you said competent finishing, but that's... We've been plagued by competent finishing for years. For years. I don't think it's been that long. I don't think... I think it's been... I think the last time we had good finishing was when
1: Giroud was on on the team. That was only two seasons ago. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Semantics FC. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I get it. I get it. But you can't account for that. You can't account for that. Like... Pochettino, I'm sure, is smart enough to say, we need to practice finishing more. Well, why not try Cole Palmer? But he fucked up when he came on as well. <laughs> I've, made th- I've read this really interesting quote saying that Cole Palmer was in a position against Bournemouth yesterday where if he was in a Man City show, he would have yeah, taken it most. on. Yeah, I agree with that. But he decided to take that extra pass yeah. and that confidence
0: is not there so you caught me on a bad day when all of my teams lost so the yeah. pessimism is just rolling out I of i get my it mind. and usually that's me yeah it's it's, it's crazy how our roles are reversed you know i'm just sort of this really the optimism i got off the optimism boat now i'm just waiting in the water of pessimism right now you know i just it's it's just it's mind-numbing i don't know it's just mind-numbing and, and just looking at our fixtures to come to me i just don't know where we're gonna get points we play villa uh next game we play brighton and the Carabao Cup next week, then we have Fulham, you know, we have Burnley, then this is when it gets rough, having Arsenal, Brentford, Tottenham, Man City, Newcastle, Brighton again, Man U, you know, Man U probably be our easiest <laughs> yeah. game. They're the worst out yeah. of the bunch. Yeah. They're but even just, worse than us. It's just going to be a very, very crazy next two or three months. And I I hope that things will turn around and I hope that the team can prove me wrong.
1: Yeah, I it's tough. It's really
0: tough. The t- the, we've been through a lot. We're visiting the stages of grief.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. You can't sum up a season after five games. You no, can't. You can't. You're and right. this is what this is the pragmatist element to me that's thinking about this. And I referenced it earlier. The amount of change that we've had in the not just the the team but the club in the last year this summer. The the amount of effort they got they did in the recruitment in and out it's monumental and it's built for long term it is built for long term and we have to try and think that way You, Man United will not be anywhere near where they're at currently by the end of the season I'm not convinced that other teams look that wonderful at the moment you can't make a judgment about what the season is going to look like before it's really started.
0: And actually, the only two teams that have had really serious injury issues were Man U and Chelsea. Well, Man U's had more than injury issues. They've had players suspended for other reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah we nontraditional, won't talk about those. Injuries. <laughs> non-traditional injuries. Non-traditional injuries. <laughs> but, you know, you, you've had teams like Spurs and Arsenal. I mean, they got Jesus back, but they haven't really had the injury bug as, as we've had, even Man City uh, yeah. as well. Um, Liverpool, I don't know how they're just – Getting these getting out of these games, even with the man down. They look poor in that
1: first half, and like the the element of this is the whole thing. It's
0: like if you They've had finishers, they have finishers though.
1: Yeah, but they also have a core element to their squad that's been there for a while. Like Salah is such an important attacking player for them. You can bring on
0: Diaz and Darwin Nunez, right? Who we bring on Cole Palmer and whoever else. At the moment, yeah. yeah.
1: This is the thing. At the moment, yeah, like and this is why I keep going back to it the 70th minute when he realized it's not happening, don't lose. I know 0-0 was demoralizing away from Bournemouth, but it could have been worse. And we're all notoriously terrible coming back after international breaks as well, where a lot of our players did a lot of traveling. And it it's a, it was a tough watch, but we've now got a week to prepare for Aston Villa. So
0: who's your starting 11 for Aston Villa? Um, you know, realizing Kai it will be okay to go.
1: Sanchez in goal, Gusto right back if James is not fit, which is unlikely. I would do De Sassi and Colwell and Chilwell left back. Midfield of Caicedo, Enzo and Cole Palmer, Palmer in the 10. I would do Sterling left, Nonni if he's fit on the right and
0: Jackson up top. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think the only person I would probably move around is maybe Kaysedo off the bench and start Leslie Okachokwo if with still, you know, Yeah. have that knock. You
1: would have Colwell and to Sassi over
0: Thiago. Yeah, I agree with that. Interesting. I thought you were going to berate me for that. No, no. I think it's time. I mean, I think there has to be a moment. I think having Colwell left fullback, uh, that we saw how good he was in the second half. I thought he was, you know, getting into the box and had a couple opportunities to score, was sides on that set piece. Um, but just giving him the freedom to move up that's fine you can start him out left fullback if you do that but if you're just going to you know keep him sort of behind the line like he did in the first half and then the previous games he's it's just not utilizing his talents yeah I
1: agree and Aston Villa are very good going forward they're yeah. a very athletic dynamic attack they get a very good midfield me. as well yeah I and
0: mean, they just they laid it on at Crystal Palace after they were down one goal
1: yeah so what do you think is going to happen what do you think the score
0: uh I think it's gonna be a draw. Yeah, I, th- I think it's got one, 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 zero, zero, or maybe they they win. I honestly, I think it's gonna be a draw, but they, I wouldn't be shocked if they came out with a victory just based on you know just a pattern of injuries that we've had and. Not having the goal scoring threats, and they have they have goal scorers in their team. Yeah, we've
1: got a, they've got European football this week, haven't mm-hmm. they? Though they've got Conference League, so hopefully they all their whole
0: starting eleven will break their legs. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> hopefully
1: they'll pick up a a couple yeah, of tires. Ty- ty- good
0: point. I did not think about that. You may actually bring up a very very good point about the Conference League. I'm That's a Thursday night. My, yeah, I'm have to revise my. We'll be playing on Sunday you know morning. We went, we're going to win eight 0 Yeah, no, it's I think we We're going to win two one.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I I think. This is when it starts to get interesting. Optimism is back. Optimism I got my last baby. i back on the vote, baby. 2-1.
0: <laughs> Let's go.
1: Yeah, this is a crucial time. Those teams now are starting to play in Europe. Let's
0: see what happens. We're going to fucking kill them. They're going to beat Brighton. <laughs> and they're just going to just run. And we're going to win we're gonna go run. everything. Exactly. Going to win the league. That's right. That brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in on this episode. Again, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, our... Handle is catw podcast at catw podcast, and also if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for any future comment, please feel free to email us at podcast catw at gmail That's podcast catw at gmail
1: Optimism FC, that's what we're gonna be. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know it's off the back of a difficult result if you're a Chelsea fan if you're not a Chelsea fan this is probably really entertaining <laughs> just to hear the delusion in our voices but we really do appreciate anyone who is listening to the podcast please do give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to us on we're trying to trying to stay positive and trying to keep with everything for our team this year so let's try and keep the faith let's stick together let's beat Aston Villa next weekend and then we'll be back next week with a with an even more optimistic podcast. But thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.